This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our books and comics show here on the network i am your host matthew brushing and with me as he is always is dan gunther dan how are you doing this week i'm not too bad not too much going on this week uh uh actually the one thing is uh in in Alberta, anyway, there's a holiday this past Monday, which oh yeah, everybody seems to have gotten except where I work. So yeah, yeah. that stinks. Um, we did not have a a actual holiday for everyone here on Monday. It was President's Day. Oh, okay, and uh, you know if you work for the uh, government, that that's off, and and banks and that kind of thing. Um, I took it off anyway because my wife was off, so um, it was it was nice to not be at work on Monday and only have the four day work week. I keep thinking it's like Tuesday, but it's not. <laughs> it's already Wednesday, so I'm like, oh thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's the good way that it goes. The really bad part is when it's Wednesday or Thursday and you think it's Friday, and then oh no, gotta go to work nothing, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, nothing worse than that. Oh, um, it's just although, the worst. You know, I don't know because. Uh, you know, being on the five-year mission as the crew of the Enterprise are now in the Star Trek ongoing, and uh, what they run into, um, I'm not so sure if if that's not your worst day. Mm, like, that that be, just feels like a Monday. That would be a pretty bad day. And I don't know. Do you, uh, do the Star Trek crews do they get do they get weekends? I don't know. That is a good question. <laughs> like, do you just work every single day or? Do you have days off, kind of like the military does? You know, you, <laughs> you have to have some time off, some downtime. Huh, maybe they rotate, like, every other Tuesday, you know, Kirk's mm-hmm. off, you know, and Spock's the captain that day. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And just see so then, Kirk in his chair putting his feet up, TGIF. <laughs> <laughs> he cracks open a beer on the bridge, he's like... I'm off. I'm not working. <laughs> oh, man, that would be awesome. Well, uh, that's one of the things that we did want to cover. The The first part of uh, Star Trek Ongoing's Behemoth came out, uh, part one of two. And uh, what do you think, Dan? I thought that um, this felt a little bit like some of the comics that we got from John Byrne. Uh, you know, I, I really felt like... Some of the story felt like that, and a little bit of the story felt like the Doomsday Machine. Yeah, I can definitely see those comparisons for sure. Uh, one thing I noticed was it, it felt like a lot of setup. Um, obviously, you know, we're setting up this new storyline, and, you know, kind of after the fast moving Q Gambit, it was a little bit of a of shifting gears to a little bit of a slower pace, but. Uh, I'm really interested to see where this story goes. It looks like it could be pretty interesting. Well, one of the things that I really liked was the fact that it does slow down, and we got a lot of great character moments. Um, mm-hmm. Kirk was spending time with Carol. You know, they're actually getting to know each other, and then of course Chekhov meeting Irina for the first time. Yeah, uh, that was so. kind of a cool little moment. Uh, this really makes me hope that in the new movie uh, we're going to see some more Carol and and how she's getting on with the crew and that kind of thing. Cause I think that's a really interesting aspect of this new, uh, alternate universe that we don't, didn't have in the prime universe. 
Well, and that's one thing that the original series doesn't really touch romance all that much mm-hmm. with its characters. I mean, unless you count Star Trek V and, uh, <laughs> you know, Scotty and Uhura. And then, of course, there's also, you know, the the Carol Marcus and, and uh, Kirk. And then, of course, you have Dr. McCoy, who, you know, has a daughter and a wife we know. But uh, they're divorced now, and so things haven't gone so well there. So it's very interesting. And then, of course, you get into TNG, and there's the whole will they or won't they Ross Rachelness of, <laughs> you know, Troy and Riker, which it just seemed to be so done, you know. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you guys aren't Sam and Diane, you know. You guys aren't <laughs> Ross and Rachel. You're just Riker and Troy. And, of course, there was Troy and Worf. Um, and then Deep Space Nine, I think, really hits it out of the park with the romance department. I think they're the only ones really to uh, to get romance in Star Trek right. I, I guess Tom and Bolana were pretty okay on Voyager as well. Uh, they felt real, but other than that... Oof. They are actually, I think, one of my favorite romances as well. Oh, um, nice. You know, uh, I, I really appreciated Tom and Bolana and their relationship, the way they kind of moved forward. And they weren't afraid to do it. You know, they mm-hmm. they they didn't like have this couple that ended up having chemistry and then they kind of did they will, they won't, they thing. Um, and then, of course, the um, for me, always a huge shipper of uh to Paul and Trip. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. I yeah, thought that was really interesting. And, and the whole will they or won't they aspect of it I thought was really interesting because they were the first, at least that we knew of, human and Vulcan flirtation and, and you know, taking it farther. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember actually with Enterprise uh, in the first season, I think the episode was Breaking the Ice. And I remember telling a friend while we were watching this, I think Tripp and DePaul might get together someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was with you. So, well, you know, this this really does kind of have the feeling of the Doomsday Machine because they come across this ginormous ship that's, you know, 20 times the size of the Enterprise and they beam on it and there's this alien and this is where it gets into that John Byrne-ness where this thing had destroyed his planet and he's been chasing it. He's trying to chase it down and, and basically destroy it. Uh, but apparently it's a star eater. Um, so I I don't know. This is it. Like you said, it's a lot of setup, but I think the setup is great. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated the fact that um, they were spending some time to kind of develop some of these characters more. You know, um, I, I think one of the criticisms I would have of, of the JJ universe is the fact that you don't get as much time to develop any of them, you know, mm-hmm. because we only have two hours with them. And the comics are there and they can do a great job of actually building up those characters. And, you know, um, it's some of the times, you know, I get a little bit frustrated with the way that they have, you know, used Ohura or haven't used Bones or um, some of those kind of things. And this comic right here, I just felt like, it was a great utilization of Kirk as his character and, mm. you know, having those slower moments with Carol. And then, of course, Chekhov, instead of him just being this whiz kid, you know, having him find a little, uh, you know, basically have a meet cute with um, Irina. So I, I mm. like this. I think it's a good setup. And, of course, um, how well this will actually work is all going to be dependent on the payoff we'll get with part two. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like you said, there's a lot to like in this. I, I love that Chekhov gets somebody, you know, from the old country to talk with and visit with and kind of connect with. And, uh, you know, he can brag about Russia and actually have somebody agree with him on everything for once. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, I don't know if Chekhov would be interested in anybody who wasn't from Russia. Because, of course, we know that all of the very best looking girls, they come from Russia. Oh, absolutely. You know? So... <laughs> Um, you couldn't really expect them to come from anywhere else. Uh, but I, yeah, this is, it is, uh, I think a good start and we will just have to wait and see how it turns out. And if they really kind of live up to the potential that they have created, I think with the part one. Mm-hmm. Now, second thing that we have in news today, just a, a couple of quick notes. IDW, um, released some things for their May comics. John Burns. Issue number six is going to be interesting, and there's only one word we have for you. 
in fact, may be the shortest blurb ever. Borg! <laughs> Absolutely. And this is apparently the official blurb for this comic released by IDW. The entire blurb is one word, Borg, which I, that's all right. They're just... I don't... They're embracing it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this worked on Enterprise. Everybody mm-hmm. was like, how are they going to do the Borg on Enterprise? Okay, they totally make this work. I don't think you can make this work. I don't know. I mean... I'll read. I'll buy this and read this, of course. Um, and I'm really in- interested to see where it goes. But, whew, I don't know. Going from this big menace in TNG that we've never seen before to now every series <laughs> having dealt with the Borg. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I. That's the thing is I don't understand. You know, we are supposed to meet the Borg in TNG. For the first time, you know, with Q introducing us to the Borg, nobody's ever heard of them before except the Elorians and, you know, Guinan, obviously. They're good listeners, but apparently they don't talk much. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, guys, you might want to know there's this menace out there. Uh, cybernetic beings just thought you'd <laughs> want to know. They tend to kind of take over whatever galaxy they're in. So do with that what you will. Uh, I feel like Guinan should have uh, shared that information. Yeah, sooner. a little heads up would have been nice. Yeah, seriously. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so that's going to be happening. What's uh, what's going to be going on in the ongoing series there in May? Well, in May we're getting uh, ongoing number forty-five, which is Eurydice Part Three. Um, and the blurb for that is: Trapped deep in the Delta Quadrant, Captain Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise fight for their lives to escape the clutches of the Dark market syndicate hmm huh so in the delta quadrant and uh apparently the enterprise is now voyager i guess so (laughs) do you think like carol marcus is going to be captain soon or uh, well one would hope (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know this um i'm I'm not sure about this either because uh, you know they made, hey, they made Deep Space Nine and Q work, so I'll give them the credit that they could make this work. Um, just how they're going to get back from the Delta Quadrant after Part 3 is what I'm kind of scratching my head about mm-hmm. um, and not just kind of have it be, poof, we're back. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it just, um, I'm not sure how that'll work. But hey, again, they made Deep Space Nine. They made Q work, I think, marvelously. I really enjoyed that. So I'm, I'm and, and I guess I should say this. The whole point of doing the reboot like they did is so that you can use all this stuff however you want at this point so you know i guess i should just let go and be like hey tell me a good story because that's really all that matters yeah i do wonder if this dark market syndicate i wonder if uh well them or you know other species uh, are going to be familiar faces from voyager i don't know it'd be interesting to get some kind of crossover stuff like that as long as we see the Voth back, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I love, you know, dinosaur aliens, and I feel like they need to be in Star Trek more. I mean, honestly, we're going to talk about the Gorn Crisis this time in our feature, and I just don't feel like we see enough dinosaur races or lizard races in Star Trek. And so, yeah, I'm all about that. So hopefully they'll be a part of this dark market syndicate. So you mean you, you're not aching to see, you know, lots of Kazon again? Oh, God, let's hope that they did not go that far. Um, yeah, can you imagine J.J. versions, uh, you know, do they just all have their hair, like, slicked back, you know, like, <laughs> you know, gangsters or something in the J.J. verse instead of that ridiculous hair they have here? Yeah, it could be anything. <laughs> oh, man, well, so those things will be coming out in May. Uh, I'm excited to kind of see both of those and how they'll work. I mean, both of them... In some ways, might make me want to scratch my head, being like, "Okay." And then the other part, I'm like, "Man, if you can make this work, it's going to be awesome." So, yeah, for sure. Um, but before we go into the feature and we talk about the Gorn Crisis, just want to remind you of Audible, who is the premier source of audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from. And guess what? New titles come out each week. There are bestsellers, classics. I mean, they've even got some of the most famous Star Trek books. 
Really, Audible has just got something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting literary treks and the network. Well, then we have something fun, I think, in the feature today. We're going to be talking about The Gorn Crisis, which is a comic book that came out, and it's written by Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Moesta. Now, Kevin is really famous uh, for the fact that he has worked in the Star Wars universe and very early in the kind of the relaunch for Star Wars books when they, uh, back in the day, you know, we'd had uh, like Heir to the Empire and the the Dawn trilogy there. And uh, so Kevin J. Anderson had written The Jedi Academy with Luke, Han, and Leia and all the rest of the crew. Well, he wrote this comic book here that really features the Gorn. And the kind of the basic premises with a fierce war raging, the Dominion War, that is. Resources are running low. The USS Enterprise has been assigned a sensitive diplomatic mission to enlist the aid of an alien race known as the Gorn. Unfortunately, the Gorn have their own crisis brewing on their home planet with revolution in their ranks. And when it comes to the Federation, some of the Gorn have long memories. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. Arena. We're looking at you, James Kirk. Perhaps. That's right. (laughs) We're looking at you, Kirk. So, we're looking at you, Kirk. I guess that's my how they say it. So, um... We both got a chance to read the comic, and I just kind of want to talk about it a little bit different than we have some comics, and because really this is a whole continuous story. It doesn't really feel like individual issues, and so first just wanted to talk through the story with you, Dan. Um, the fact that the Enterprise, during the Dominion War, I mean, everybody's always wondering, what the heck did the Enterprise do during the Dominion War? Did they just like sit around at Ryza with mimosas and, <laughs> you know, just like chill? Um well, this is one of the things. Around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ferry ambassadors from here to there, you know, uh, trade federation talks, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, very important things. You know, oh, picking yes. up locals, <laughs> you know, and ferrying them from place to place. Uh, well, no, I, apparently one of the things that they were doing is, as the Dominion War rages, they are sent to the Gorn homeworld to try to enlist their aid in the fight against the Dominion, which. I thought this was a great idea. The fact that we, what we see in Deep Space Nine, we, we really see the Dominion War taking its toll on the Federation and its allies, the Klingons, and then, of course, the Romulans, and uh, the Ferengi, all of these people who are actually helping the Federation, the long cost of this war, and having somebody like the Gorn on their side could really help. And so I thought that was a pretty cool idea. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense, you know, sending envoys to... Uh potentially friendly neighbors that might be willing to help out. We saw this in Deep Space Nine with Nog being sent to the, to Ferenginar in the episode Valiant, supposedly to, you know, try and bring the Ferengi into the war. Um, you know, it makes sense that you would be going around trying to enlist support. Well, and, and what I love, too, is that it makes sense as well to send the Enterprise, to send mm-hmm. Burkhardt, because, you know, he's somebody who is a diplomat. He's very good at that kind of thing. Because he's spent a lot of time with ambassadors as they've been ferrying them around from place to place on the Enterprise D. Um, and uh, what, just one thing, what class is the Enterprise E? Do you remember? Uh, sovereign. Okay, because it's weird because this comic calls it a galaxy class. I oh, just, did it? I totally yeah, missed that. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a little off. So huh. um, if you can get past that, I think the story is actually pretty interesting because as the Enterprise arrives... The Gorn are in the midst of their own civil war, basically. And so one of the most interesting things, Dan, is the Gorn are a caste system. And anybody Mm -hmm. who's read Seize the Fire, the Titan novel, um, and anything else revolving around the Gorn, they've actually used this idea, which I thought was kind of cool. And so there's a ruling class, there's a military class, there's all these different classes. And the military class, called the Black Crest... With about de- five S's in there. <laughs> that crest has decided that they are tired of the ruling class, one, and 
basically being pushed around by the Federation, they feel like. The, the fact that the Federation uh, and what happened, obviously, in Arena, the Gorn have been very sedentary, they think. And they are basically wanting to go out and conquer the Federation one planet at a time as the Federation is dealing with the Dominion. And so the whole beginning of this comic I thought was really interesting. And I gotta say, this comic is bloody. These mm-hmm. Gorn are like just murdering all those rolling council people and everything and basically taking over the planet as the Enterprise arrives. Like, wow, this is not exactly what Ricard thought it was going to be on the docket for today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a nice diplomatic mission. Sit down, make sure the fork's on the right side of the plate. Oh, nope, lots of blood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they get this message. Um, they they have been talking to the envoys, uh, apparently, from the ruling council, and all of a sudden, for them, communications with the, uh, the ruling council just stops, just ceases, and they finally get a message that tells them that they're in dire need of help and so Picard decides that he and an away team are going to beam down to the planet and so I thought that was uh, pretty interesting to see that Picard himself even though there's danger decides to be the one to go down and conspicuously at the beginning of the story as well Riker's not around Mm -hmm. and I was just kind of wondering where's Riker yeah. Well, you have to remember also, this is movie era Picard. So, you know, he's always the first to grab the phaser rifle and strip off a couple layers of uniform and take the fight to the enemy. <laughs> well, yeah. And I was thinking that. And then the other thing that I I was thinking was Picard is probably wanting to see if he can find the diplomatic solution mm-hmm. to the problem. Because that's, that is the first way that he tries to deal with things, even oh, here sure. in the comic, honestly. Mm-hmm. That, that's where he goes. And so... Uh, I think that he feels that he'll have the best chance of success if it's him on the ground instead of, I mean, it, Riker's not on the ship right now. So right. you would have had to send the next in line as Data. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Data is necessarily the best person to send on a diplomatic mission, even with his emotion ship. So. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the story works out that Riker's not there to protest that either. Right, exactly. Well, and that's an interesting thing. What did you think about where they have Riker? I thought that was a neat idea, um, kind of separating him out and putting him with the Klingons on the outpost preparing defenses and that sort of thing. It was kind of an interesting dynamic, kind of a different story running in parallel to the one with the Enterprise. Yeah, and... Well, obviously, we've already seen Riker do this before in TNG, and so Mm -hmm. he's worked with the Klingons, uh, you know, pretty well. Uh, I think of of everyone on the Enterprise-D, Worf and and Riker were probably the closest, so he has a very good idea and understanding. He's been involved, obviously, every time the the Enterprise-D was involved with you know the the Klingons and all the machinations going on behind the scenes there. So he's he's well familiar. He's he's definitely I think one of the best people you could do. I just thought it was kind of a, a strange thing here at the beginning, but as it'll turn out, I think it it just makes for an interesting storyline and I think just some nice character development or and not even development so much. It's just it's nice to see Riker get something to do. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, like definitely. he doesn't normally have a lot to do so. Um, and it turns out they are there on this planet to help set up the defenses as preparation for hopefully the Gorn entering the Dominion War on the side of the Allies. Mm. And this this base has been falling into disrepair, and so he and this Klingon commander are there with this Klingon commander ship to kind of um, make sure that everything would be ready to actually use this as a base of operations for hopefully the Gorn military as well as, as I'm sure, Klingons or uh, Federation starships that need a place to stay. And so, of course, what I also thought was interesting is that the person that the Klingons have sent is not somebody who is anyone of good standing with the, the rest of the Klingon military. Right. It's kind of interesting, you know, the Federation would send their best for this kind of mission, which they would deem quite important, you know, working with an ally to bring someone else into the war and, you know, shoring up defenses and kind of cross-cultural exchange. Whereas the Klingons are kind of like, oh, you know, this 
make work project, you know, building on this outpost. Oh, that's, that's not fighting. Let's send somebody that we don't really care about and don't want on the front lines anyway. Well, and <laughs> did you notice that the commander for the Klingons is named Quirrell? Which I wonder <laughs> if uh, Kevin J. Anderson had been watching James Bond's Dr. No beforehand. Huh, and yeah. Quirrell is the guy who helps Bond out to get to the island. So I have no idea if that's where he got it, but I just thought that was kind of a <laughs> strange thing. Turns out we find out that this commander, Quirrell, had a what he calls a warrior's vision. <laughs> that told him where the Jem Hadar were actually. So he attacked there, and it turned out to be a massacre for his fleet. And that's why he's gotten sent on this mission. So I think that's really interesting. I don't really think... Have we ever heard of, of Klingons having these kind of visions before? Uh, the only one I can think of is um, Worf when he was young having a vision of... of finding Kalis, but uh, that's, I don't know, that's really the only time I can think of Klingons uh, mentioning having sacred visions or that kind of thing. Premonitions? It just, yeah. It just seemed really odd to me, that this whole idea, that uh, he was having some kind of, uh, of just, I don't know, it felt very Star Wars-y, and then just put it, put it that way. Mm-hmm. The idea of you know, having some sort of basically force vision. It it felt out of place. A little bit, yeah. 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 Um, kind of yeah, like you said, a little bit Star Warsy, a little bit more into the I don't know. If a Klingon captain on the bridge of the ship started saying that I had a sacred vision and we should take our ship over here away from the fight, I'd be I don't know, I'd be challenging him for command pretty quickly. Right. Well this was interesting because Riker has an in-depth conversation with this guy. He finds out about what happened. Um, his men have kind of been bad-mouthing him. And so the next day, as they're working on the defenses and this base, which looks very Star Warsy, it looks like a Bihar monk monastery, basically, like you would find Jabba the Hutt there. <laughs> I'm sorry, but some of this is, yeah, it, it's it's too Star Warsy for Star Trek uh, in the look. I feel, but the guys are bad mouthing, you know, their, their commander again, commander Quirrell and Riker just turns around and punches a guy out and knocks the other guy off the wall (laughs) and he breaks his leg. And what did you think about this whole scene? Like, I was just like, this seems very on Riker a little bit. I, I kind of, I kind of bought it because of his um, experience in A Matter of Honor, you know, working with the Klingons. and But yeah, it did seem a little bit further than Riker would tend to go. You know, it, Riker would more kind of witness this thing with wide eyes and go like, wow, I, that shouldn't have happened. But for him to do it himself, yeah, it seemed a little out of character here. <laughs> Especially yeah. the broken leg part and like, well, yeah, I guess you better deal with that. <laughs> It seemed like something that Worf might do, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure Riker would do it. And yeah. maybe that's where, you know, again, Riker has spent time with the Klingons. He spent time with Worf. And so maybe he's just uh, doing what he thinks Worf would do in his place. And so, but it just seemed so out of character for Riker to just turn around and deck a couple of, you know, Klingons and then toss one of them basically off a wall and have his leg broken and then offer him to help. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it doesn't give us any indication of exactly how long Riker has been with these Klingons, honestly. And so, you know, maybe he's been with them for, you know, maybe a month or so. And so, you know, maybe he's gotten more comfortable. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was a really interesting scene and very different from uh, what you'd expect Riker to do. <laughs> yeah, the punch I could see, everything after that, I thought, oh, that's a little bit far. <laughs> we jump uh, like back to the story of the Enterprise, and it turns out that a big, huge fleet is, is leaving Gorn. They are leaving the planet, and they are basically heading towards the the planets uh, some federation outposts one one of the 
one of them is the one that Riker is on, and the other one is Cestus Three, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to be trying to attack both of them. And the Enterprise is the only one that's standing in the way, basically, of this in- ginormous Gorn fleet that just launches. Yeah, and that's where they say, it would appear that the Gorn have been preparing for some time now. Even a galaxy-class ship cannot defend against such a fleet. Hmm. I didn't catch that the first time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was a little sad, so... Data is actually able to engage the Gorn, but they really aren't interested in the Enterprise at all. They actually warp away and uh, are on course for the the different outposts that they're on to destroy. So, Matthew, I don't know if you notice in a couple of these scenes here, but the uh, the Enterprise's, quote, manual steering column, that Atari joystick from Insurrection's visible in a few yes, frames there. Yes, it is. Which... They just left that out from Insurrection and forgot to put it away, or... Yeah, maybe Riker just really likes having it out, you know? He just <laughs> likes playing with the stick. Uh, and you could just imagine Picard slapping his hand. Stop it, Riker. Stop it, number one. So, uh, which is really interesting when you say that because the very next page, I don't know if you realize this, but apparently Riker goes full Fabio. <laughs> yes. Did you see that? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a Star Trek character in any comic look more muscled and more like Superman than Riker does <laughs> fighting this Klingon. You know, sometimes I just want to, like, get pictures of some of these comic frames and show them to the actors who played the characters and just kind of get their reaction. Like, I'd love to see Jonathan Frakes look at that picture and, you know, get Maybe his honest tweet him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we should tweet him <laughs> about that. I just wanted to say, Jonathan, looking really good these days. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it is a hilarious scene. Like, seriously, I could not believe that he looks like Fabio (laughs) from a romance cover, except he's facing off with a Klingon because they're having, you know, a sparring practice. And I just thought that that was hilarious that even when Jonathan Frakes was in the first two seasons of... TNG. He did not look like this. No, definitely um, not. We we would know. have known through those season one jumpsuits if he exactly. Like <laughs> <laughs> they didn't hide anything. <laughs> As they're sparring, they learned that uh, the that the fleet is on its way, and at the same time, in the Gorn Counselor Chamber, Picard is trying to find somebody alive who can tell him what happened, and uh, they do. They tell him, you know, the the whole story of. The, the black crest <laughs> taking over and uh, trying to wipe out the entire ruling council and cast. And they say there are still five eggs hidden in the council chamber. And as long as they survive, that cast will be able to live on and still be able to rule when they come of age. Mm-hmm. But of course, the problem is, is that uh, Picard and the team are, are quickly, they're, they're outgunned. Um, they are taken captive, and that's when Data has to make the decision of what do I do because the the Gorn commander says, hey, if you don't bow down to our demands, the, you're forfeiting these people's lives, uh, which I thought was really interesting. While at the same time, Riker and his Klingon crew are dealing with the attack on uh, their their planet and trying to repel the Gorn invaders which was kind of interesting because they they retreat to the ship and then the ship has these pods that land on it and these pods, they they must cut through the hole or something and then the the Gorn land on it. What did you think of Riker's solution to getting rid of the Gorn on the ship? I thought that was pretty cool. Um, It's the kind of thing... Like we don't see a lot of in Star Trek, like this kind of these kind of tactics and um, using space like that very often. A couple times we've seen, you know, that sort of thing. Like uh, I guess in Enterprise, but you know, it's kind of something, especially on TNG. They never really made use of that uh, environment like they could have, like they do in this comic. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, I I thought that. The whole idea of of using the biology of you know your attackers against them was mm. just really really smart. And 
again, it makes sense for somebody like Riker to be thinking like that, you know, mm-hmm. whereas the Klingons are just going to be all out, oh, we're going to kill them, you know, in, in, in the heat of battle. Riker's like, let's think about this for a minute. And, exactly. And yeah. science. <laughs> let's try not to die. Yeah. You know, uh, it may be a good day to die, but it's also a better day to live. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I thought that was really cool how uh, one of them, what did they say? It's like fighting statues or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just was imagining the, the rest, like a, a, a non-used scene where Klingons are just lopping heads off of Gorn, you know, that are frozen <laughs> basically. And the, their batleth getting stuck because it's like like a Gorn sickle. Ooh. It's <laughs> <laughs> gruesome. <laughs> Well, what did you think of Data and Picard's solution to being able to finally challenge and, and overtake the Gorn? Well, I thought I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, like using the well, if you can't defeat one Starfleet officer, how can you hope to go up against the Federation? I, I do have to say, I really enjoyed seeing Data actually fight. Like the the fanboy in me was like, we've never really seen Data really use his android prowess to fight someone that was pretty cool like the kind of leaping to avoid his hits and you know it's it's cool to see data using his full capabilities well and what was so interesting about it too is that you really do expect that data i mean he's basically like nero from the matrix i mean he has every fight move from as many different alien races as he wants, you know, uploaded into his brain. And so, mm. I mean, why would would he not be able to do this is, is really the question. Um, and, you know, I kind of, again, why haven't we seen that before? I think it was great. It was an excellent use of data, I felt like, and just kind of the the smarts for the character you know he's thought about this and basically what he's doing is he's using his enemy's uh, nature against him which is mm-hmm. very much um you know almost a spock way of thinking his way out of a problem and uh, i really really like that mm-hmm. yeah it's it's good when uh you know they use the characters well and and in a way that makes logical sense and it makes sense that data would analyze the situation and, you know, from a cultural perspective, be able to work with what the Gorn believe and how they think. Now, one thing that I did think was a little bit odd is the fact, you know, the the Federation and the Gorn haven't had a lot of contact in the last say hundred years, really. And they even talk about that here. So how in the world did data know exactly you know, what it was that the Gorn, you know, the, their their mentality and kind of what they hold most dear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a little, I don't know. I guess maybe he, he read the book that all, you know, all lizard people who are warriors think a certain way or something. It was a little formulaic. But... Uh, stereotypes 101. Okay, let's see. <laughs> uh, okay, lizard people, they are aggressive and uh, they don't like being challenged. And when you do, they can't back down from the challenge. Okay, got it, got it, got it. All right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Warrior cast, they must just be aggressive and, and adversarial, right? Yeah. yeah see sure Klingon. <laughs> See Klingon, see Zindi reptilian, see exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it was very funny. Oh, I I missed it was, oh I missed the Zindi reptilians when I was talking about um, reptilian races. So we have seen oh. three. So yep, that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, forgive me, listeners. I apologize. <laughs> well, I I did like the end because you know after Data wins the Gorn you know, a commander, he calls all of his ships off and everything turns out okay. And this is where um, Picard at the very end shakes hand with the Gorn and and the Gorn says that, you know, I think we have a lot, we could both learn from each other. And as Picard leaves, you know, he's recording his log and he's saying, you know, I really hope this is the, the basically the first step towards the Gorn becoming part of the Federation as well as hopefully us winning the war, even though the Gorn aren't going to be able to join 
the, the war effort anytime soon with everything that's gone on on their planet, you know, recently. So I thought that was, uh, you know, even though the mission wasn't necessarily a complete success, it's definitely a success in the sense that the Federation doesn't have another enemy on its doorstep. Um, and, you know, they, they've, they forged a really good relationship um, with these Gorn, and therefore, hopefully, uh, they might become part of the Federation. Now, spoiler alert. <laughs> they don't. Who's, yeah, who's <laughs> read the Typhon Pact is, yeah, they don't. Even though uh, the Gorn, honestly, are very close at this point to actually maybe leaving the Typhon Pact in the books, and they've, they've become... Um, much friendlier with the Federation, and uh, and so uh, that's something I would love to kind of see is somebody like mm-hmm. the Gorn become part of the Federation, and then you could have Gorn on Starfleet ships, you know, so they could all talk like this, <laughs> you know, uh, would really, really get annoying to read those books. Never mind, <laughs> um, because there's a lot of S's. Well, I always notice in like next generation when Worf says hailing frequencies open, no response so quickly, right? What if the Gorn was doing that? Like it'd be take forever. Hailing frequencies. Oh, oh wait, no, no yep, response. Yep, yep. <laughs> no response. <laughs> oh gosh, that's very true. That's really true. <laughs> well, um, what did what did you end up thinking of the the kind of the characterization of the TNG characters in the comic? Um, not too bad. Uh, like you mentioned some, some issues with Riker, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, I really liked Picard in this because like you said earlier, he feels more like the series Picard, you know, looking for the diplomatic solution, not, not necessarily fighting instead of talking, which was kind of the inverse of, of the series Picard. So it was good to see a return to that. Data was pretty good. A couple times, um... I felt maybe he was a little out of character and I don't know if that was so much his character or the artwork. I'm not sure, but something was taking me out of data's character a couple he times. Looks a little baby faced. Some little bit. Yeah. 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 No, I understand what you're saying. I think you're right about the Picard character. I feel like he's a good uh, amalgamation of the movie Picard and the series Picard. You know, he's willing to take the action that he needs to, and he's willing to fight if he has to, but he's also really looking for the diplomatic solution first. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. As we talked about the Riker character, I think that's the one where I was like, I had to really think about it to, to see if it was really not in his character to do what he was doing. And I think I came to the realization that the Riker character actually could do these things. Mm-hmm. And it really would have helped if I just kind of known how long he had been been with these Klingons and how well he kind of got to know them. But also, it, the more I thought about it, the, his experiences with Klingons in general led mm-hmm. me to believe that he might feel like this was the best way to motivate these men. You know, this right. is definitely not a human situation. And yeah, and and Riker in general is a very mm-hmm. adaptable character too, and very much feels at ease quickly in new situations is kind of the impression I get from him. So I can see those points for sure. Well, and looking like that, you know, <laughs> Fabio Riker, I, if there were any females on that ship, whoo, man, I'll oh, bet yeah. he was propping his leg up all over the place. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, yeah. what as did- far as other characters go, I, I, just want to talk for a minute about that admiral. <laughs> what did you think about him? The world's largest headed admiral ever. Like, yeah. it looked like a bowling ball <laughs> shoved into a uniform. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Data informs him, oh, by the way, the Gorn are attacking two of our planets, you know, in force. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I, I don't care. <laughs> like Classic what? badmiral. Yeah, like... Very bad, Merle. <laughs> well, and I, I, it was funny because, uh, you know, when he's having the conversation with the Admiral, I realized, too, it, what the Admiral's telling him is that, look, I am, you called me right in the middle of a battle, and our battle's not going well, and I don't have anything to help you with. Like, 
Mm-hmm. I've got no ships. I've got nothing in reserve, so the Enterprise is going to have to handle the saloon. So it didn't really feel so much bad, Merle-ish. It's just, I don't know, the characterization of him with the artwork was just so odd. Yeah, you know? um, just seemed really out of place for Starfleet. Yeah, it really, really did. Um, you know, do you watch Doctor Who at all? Um, I've actually just started. Okay, he reminds <laughs> me of Strax. For any listeners who watch Doctor Who... And he reminds me of the character of Strax. He kind of looks like a, a potato or a bowling ball kind of just shoved into a uniform. It's really, really odd. So Yeah, or those uh, Mr. Potato Head um, characters yeah, from Voyager. there you go. Yep, there you go. <laughs> well, what did you think of, since we talked a little bit about it, the artwork for the comic itself? Uh, I had kind of mixed feelings about it um i appreciated the style that they were going for but man the character likenesses felt way off in a lot of cases and i i don't know if you found this as well when when there was a lot of action going on or a big kind of fight scene i had a hard time kind of figuring out exactly what was happening in the frame if that makes sense yeah i i did too um in that in the way that you're talking about um i think one of the coolest parts about the artwork is the fact that it is very artistic like it mm-hmm. is an it is an art book there there it's not just a comic uh the, mm-hmm. the the artist put a lot of time and effort into this so it does have oh, definitely. a much more artistic flair to it uh, in the comic and then i like that i mean i like them taking chances i do think that they could have worked just a little bit harder in most areas for the likenesses, though, especially with, mm. you know, Riker and Data and Crusher, Troy, heck, all of them. Um, yeah. You know, Picard's <laughs> the only one I feel like that every once in a while really kind of feels like Picard. That's almost exactly what I wrote down here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but on a whole, you know, I like the fact that they were trying to just take a chance with this style. I mean, mm-hmm. and again... Um, I, I will probably tweet it out to everyone so you can take a look at my, my Twitter feed. In fact, I'm going to capture this picture right here and <laughs> I'll capture that Riker picture there and I'll, I'll just send that out to everyone uh, because that, that needs to be seen by people. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that fangirls out there m- might not have that on their wall, some of them. <laughs> so because, whoo, man. Life-size uh, Riker, cardboard Yeah, coat. no kidding. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's not bad. You know, I'd say uh, if I was going to rate the artwork, it's probably like a three out of five. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it yeah. could have it could have been done a little bit. It could have been done a little less stylistically, and I think mm-hmm. that might have helped um, because yeah. the Gorn parts, you know, with all the oh, Gorn yeah. action, I thought was great. They looked gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I think part of it was there. I don't know if you noticed. There's no hard lines in there at all. Yeah, it's all yeah. very soft. So when there's a lot happening in the frame and a lot of movement and stuff, it's just it's kind of hard to pick out the details that you need to kind of put it in a cohesive um, picture in your head. I guess. Right. Right. Exactly. But I do a really. I do really appreciate the style, and I. I like you said. I like when they're trying something different. Well, and the other thing that I don't like is the Gorn starship design and uh, like the Gorn armor for the invaders for the planet. I think it's all way too Star Warsy. Um, it feels mm-hmm. very much like a Star Wars. Like, uh, just it, it feels like it might have come out of that comic book they did off of George Lucas's original script, the Star Wars. You know, right, Ralph McQuarrie's yeah. stuff. It just doesn't feel like anything we've ever seen in star trek and that's not bad the problem is it's just reminding me of you know a completely different uh franchise and that's not good so uh, Mm -hmm. i think again that's why i would kind of put that at at, um you know just it yeah it's just a 3.5 three 3.5 so yeah it's it's a three so you know thinking back you know the books pretty well uh, i i think it's interesting this this comic series actually has a, a pretty decent impact on the actual Trek lit for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a story that uh, a number of writers have actually referenced in the novels, uh, which isn't unheard of for comic stories and other novels that take place outside of the main novel continuity. But it's still 
kind of shows that this story is held in high esteem by a lot of people. Um, the cast system, like we like we uh, mentioned earlier, is used in Seize the Fire and other novels. And yeah, it, it, it has a large impact across uh, Treklet in general. Well, and in fact, what's really interesting is that if um, you get the digital version of basically the trade paperback there is a, a like a three-page summary of the gorn and their society like drawings and everything that go along with it to kind of help explain their their coloring system for their commanders um, all that stuff somebody put a lot of hard work into that and and like we said this this was actually referenced and the events of this are mentioned in articles of the federation mainly because nan Bacco, who became the Federation president, much beloved Federation president, may Absolutely. she rest in peace, It was actually the governor of Cestus III at this time. So very, very interesting. I love the fact that there really is some impact throughout um, the rest of the Treklet for this. And I think it makes it really worth reading. So if mm-hmm. you were going to rate this, Dan, what would you say uh, would probably be a rating for the comic? Well, um, like I said, I had a couple of issues with uh, figuring out what was going on in the action scenes. Um, but for the most part, I really enjoyed the story, even though at times, like with the resolution, it felt a little bit formulaic and that sort of thing. But for the most part, part it was a fun story with a very underused alien race, uh, which was good to see. So if I were to give this a final rating, I would have to give it... Uh, three and a half out of five discovered Gorn royalty eggs. That Ooh, that half an egg is in bad shape, though. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> seems like that one's not going to survive. Uh, maybe yeah. Dr. Crusher got to it in time. Let's just hope. <laughs> um, You know, I, that's... Uh, I've been thinking about this all day. Just what would I rate this? Um, I, I do think it's definitely worth reading, especially, you know, if you're doing a massive reread of um, the relaunch series because there are some things that actually take place that get referenced uh, and it, it's nice to read it doesn't take that long um and it's it's kind of worth it it's it's one of the few things we know of that the enterprise does during the dominion war so i like that as well and it's actually in a really important mission that they're on you know mm-hmm. so i think that's very interesting and who knows because later on in the book series you know in the next few years maybe the gorn will become part of the federation and honestly it's Picard and, and his um, dealings here with the Gorn and the way that he and Data deal with the Gorn that I think really speak highly to them. Uh, and I'm very excited to see where that might go. So, yeah, I'd, I'd rate this a good um, 3.5 Fabio poses from Riker. <laughs> wow, that's that's a Yeah, he couldn't quite rating. do that half one. He just... He was a little tired. His leg would have been propped up too long. So, <laughs> Hamstring injury. They're yeah. killer on the Riker maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> killer on the Riker maneuver. Well, Matthew, that was uh, quite an interesting discussion about the Gorn crisis. Uh, lots of, uh, a lot of, lot of talk about Fabio Riker and the Riker maneuver. <laughs> a little more than I'm sometimes comfortable with. <laughs> hey, it's not my fault. You know, uh, Riker is the the one who can't keep himself under control, so. That's true. <laughs> well, Riker and the Fabio maneuver and the Gorn crisis are not the only thing. In fact, wait, do you think Fabio Riker was the cause of the Gorn crisis? Hmm. Hmm. It could be. Hmm. It just kind of built up jealousy over his it's probably awesome true. Rikerness. Yeah. That's probably what happened. Well, that's not the only thing that we have been talking about this week here on Trek FM. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I really, really, really hope that if they do that, they make Chang the villain because, you know, Captain Chang instead of General Chang or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I Mm -hmm. mean... That just seems like the perfect way to go. Earl Grey. All right, Riker, we're promoting you to captain. I mean, you uh, you killed the last captain. We usually don't reward that. That's usually not a policy. But in this case... Well, well to be fair, he had spent some time on a Klingon ship. The Orb. But the Federation and Bajor as a member of the Federation would be helping rebuild Cardassia. 
and I could see like very much the relationship between the U.S. and Japan today. I could see the Federation and Cardassia having that kind of relationship moving forward. To the journey! Julie has a very distinct pain noise. Yeah, she you know kind what I'm of talking does. About? It sounds sort of like she's suffocating. Yeah, it sounds like she's suffocating and sometimes, and I'm going to keep it clean, not always in pain. The ready room. He is the best cosplayer ever because he's so buried himself in his part that we have no idea who this guy is outside of the impersonation of Tuvok. Exactly. He's the Christian Bale of the Delta Quadrant. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. If I'm not mistaken, in any upcoming episode of Next Generation, we don't see full-grown golden retrievers running around the decks of the Enterprise. And I'm also a little worried that Captain Picard has never played with puppies. Commentary, Trek stars. But you'd rather see Red in charge than him. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Because you really want porn stash to go down. Yes, yes, you do. And that sentence out of context sounds really strange. Literary treks. As great as Picard is and his Picard maneuver, uh, I don't think Picard straightening his shirt is going to help him uh, <laughs> when he's going up against the Riker maneuver. Fair enough, yeah. So. Axanar, the official podcast. The changes that we've made, the change to the nacelles and uh, several other aspects of these ships to make them distinct and, and not the same ships as uh, in, in Star Trek 2009. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, hit that subscribe button. Give us a review and a star rating as well. It helps us out greatly, makes it easier for the listeners to find the show as they search in iTunes, as well as help us rise in the rankings of the iTunes shows. So that also makes it easier for people to find us. But if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. We are a listener-supported network, and without you, we really can't do this. And if you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find all the current goals and different milestone contributions that we have for you with the great perks that they come from. It includes early access to content, you can get exclusive content, producer credits, seats on the content development team, and even more. Guys, we really appreciate all the support you give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, which we'd love to have from you, just go to the show page, the sidebar there, or speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm. Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course, if you really want to get into the conversation, the best way to do that is to join our members-only discussion group, the Babel Conference on Facebook. Just search the Babel Conference in the Facebook search field or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. We'd like to thank our associate producers, Will Wynn, who is on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn, and of course, on the Babel Conference. He's also the associate producer of The Orb and Earl Grey and is Trek FM's content coordinator. If you do have any ideas for a future show, just send him an email at will.win at trekfm or just tweet him. We'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens for her support of the network and for being an associate producer here on Literary Treks. You can find her on Twitter at Flip18. And then, of course, Kenneth Tripp for his support of the network and being an associate producer on Literary Treks as well. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps keep bringing Literary Treks and all of our shows to each week. And, of course, that sponsor is Audible.com. Audible is the best way to read all the books you just don't have time for these days and you never thought that you'd be able to get to. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And we thank Audible for supporting Literary Treks and the network. Now, Dan, when you're not perfecting your own Fabio pose, just like Riker, where can we find you? Well, Matthew, uh, you can find me uh, on the internet, of course. Uh, my website is treklit.com, and on there you'll find reviews of Star Trek novels, both old and new. 
Um, I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekletreviews, and I'm on Twitter at trekletreviews. And Matthew, when you're not shoving Klingons off of bridges and leaving them with broken legs, where can we find you? Dang it, who told? I'm going <laughs> to kill that Klingon? God, what a baby. Man, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. You can also find me doing 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky. Pick a great new topic each week and just talk about that. So anything from brand new geek-type movies that come out like Kingsman or Jupiter Ascending, all the way to just talking about comics or Indiana Jones, our old favorites, galaxy quest or the hobbit trilogy join us there it's a great time and i hope you'll enjoy that show and of course you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42 lifeinbetween.wordpress.com well thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading to each his own number one <laughs>